Welcome to Revere Assets, Your Money, with Danny Stewart. You never know how far the stock is going to go down. Tim Razor. Danny knows I'm a geek for all of this stuff. And Don Vandenborg. Telling it like it is. If you're seeking the best stock knowledge this side of Wall Street, you've come to the right place. I'm sorry, did I steal your stuff? No, you didn't steal any thunder. Who's handling this segment? (laughs) For the next hour, Danny, Tim, and Don will be talking investing. Investing is 90% psychological, and I love that. Trades. The market will usually overshoot to the downside and to the upside. And dumpster fires. Because it doesn't matter what you think or what I think, and it matters even less what Danny thinks. And now, here's your hosts... Danny, Tim, and Don. Are you a stock hodler? Or do you have stock hodler mentality? And I don't know if that's hodler or hodler. I'm, I'm not sure, but hodler. it's hodler, hodler, stock hodler. Let me give you the definition of stock holder, okay? The definition is an online trader who clings to their positions regardless of the market, of the market condition of what they're doing. Yeah. Okay? Do you hold too long? Do you have a sell discipline or not? That's kind of the... The, the, uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit today, whether you're a stock hodler or not, hodler, excuse me, Don. Um, we're going to talk about disinflation, Disin- not deflation, <laughs> Disin- disinflation. In fact, Zach even came in today and saw my notes and go, disinf- I think you spelled that wrong. I mean, Don knows. I, I said, word. actually, that's a Isn't term. It? The Fed, that does the count. Fed came up with a new term. Okay. They've had it for. It refers to a decrease in the rate of inflation toward the Fed's. target. So it's still inflation. You still have inflation. It's just subsiding. Wow. So that's the way they want to talk about it because it's really not deflation. There's still inflation. It's just lessening. So that's good. And the Fed's Bullard, uh, he's a St. Louis Fed chair. He said 2023 is probably going to be a disinflation year. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. And then the mailbag. And we're going to talk, we got one comment. So let's get right into it, folks. Listen, welcome to Your Money Radio, the 2023 New Year edition. This is the first edition this year, early in January. And we're going to talk about the the Santa Claus rally. Did it happen? We're going to talk about the January effect, first few days in January. Did that happen? No. Well, maybe now. Maybe it is today. And then the whole month of January, all those are going to be important. So in any event, let's get right to it. So. Kathy Wood uh, apparently uh, doesn't, she's a stock hodler, according to billionaire Dan Loeb, right? Okay. He's a value investor and he's been, but, but, but Kathy Wood came out and claimed she took aim at, and where is that article real quick? So let me get into this real quick. This is very interesting. Okay. He says, uh, founder ARC management. Uh, could seemingly do, do no wrong in the run-up during after COVID, but with soaring inflation, elevated interest rates, it crushed her exchange fund in 2022. It was tumbled more than 65%. I think the final number was about 69%. Mm. And she held big tech stocks like Tesla and Zoom. Tesla, I think, was down 69% year to date. 
I don't know what Zoom is. One of the guys can tell me what Zoom was here today, but it was very ugly too. Anyway, Wood in her defense said the firm backs companies poised to change the world and doesn't invest in mature ones catering to short-term investors. So basically, if you're bitching about how much money you've lost, you're just a short-term investor. You've got a myopic short-term view. Ah. If you don't hang out with me and lose 70% with me or 60%, you're just a short, <laughs> just, you're just a short-term wimp. Right. Not cool What's enough right? to be at It'll the party. It'll take you 10 years to get your money back, but hey, yeah. it's all about the the the, the philosophy. Love it's that. all about being right. Yeah. Now, is she going to end up in a in an apartment somewhere telling her husband that she was right? Okay. And and so um Bernard Baruch often gets to that to that end, Zach, if you want to show my screen very quickly, I'll okay. show you the returns of last year of Kathy Wood's top 10 holdings. Tesla minus 69%, Zoom minus 61, Roku minus 78, CRSP, oh, this is a good one, only down 29%. EXAS <laughs> down Sorry, Air down 53, NTLA 62, Coin 86, TDOC 73, Path 71. Now, you can take a long-term view if you want to, but you're going to need a long-term view to have any prayer of getting your, your money back after taking 80% losses, 70, 80% losses. Horrific. Uh, yeah, when you- All lose, right, Dan, sorry to interrupt. That's all right. When you lose 75%, you got to get 300% back before you're even even. Wow. Think about that. So she's going to have to have three, uh, two years in a row, like her stellar year, or three, to, to, to even get back even. Okay, now, so- so in, in Wood's defense, she said her firm backs companies poised to change the world and invest in mature ones, not catering to short-term, not mature ones, catering to short-term investments. Um, 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 and Dan Loeb, who's a, a longtime value investor, says, I'm not impressed. Um, um, he said that, uh, he said, Wood's memo should be used in classes, meaning college study classes, for the mindset of stock hodlers, a term used to poke fun at online traders who cling to their positions regardless of what happens in the market. He said anyone teaching value investing class or one investment or one investment psychology should use this memo uh, st to study. Anyway, uh, she defended the firm against criticism, saying uh, that it invests in concept concept capital and companies that can't turn a profit. Oh, I'm sorry. He was saying, he was critical of her saying they can't turn a profit. Wood took aim at firms that added leverage to their balance sheet to, to pay dividends or repurchase shares, do stock buybacks with borrowed money. Now that is a little bit of engineering. And if a company is buying, I mean, borrowing money to pay your dividend, that is cannibalizing the stock. That's not a good sign. You should be able to pay dividends out of cash flow or out of retained earnings. You shouldn't have to borrow money to pay the dividends, but that doesn't, two wrongs don't make a right. Mm. Just because a company shouldn't buy dividend stocks um, um, that are borrowing money to pay the dividend, you should look for strong companies that can afford to pay the dividend, but that's irrespective of whether you should hold high, high beta growth stocks in a crashing growth stock market. You see what I'm saying? Those are, those are mutually exclusive. Those are not mutually exclusive. 
Okay, you shouldn't buy dividend stocks that cannibalize, and you also shouldn't buy growth stocks that 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 are, are crashing. But let me ask you a question, Zach. Just out of I want to get a layman's answer. Oh yeah, not sure. from Don or anybody else. <laughs> Would you rather have a dividend stock that borrows or cannibalizes a little bit to pay your dividend, and it might decline five, ten, fifteen, twenty percent even? So you got a 5% or 4% or 3% dividend and the stock's down 20% because dividend stocks have held up better, mm-hmm. maybe 15%. Or would you rather have a growth stock down 70%? First off, I'd go to Revere because you guys <laughs> know what you're talking about. Oh, Zach. Yeah. Zach just got a raise. <laughs> Step one. Zach, yeah. Obviously. Zach I'd just hit his bonus. Thank you. And yeah. it's only the first show of the That's year. That's right. First show of the year. All right. Um, anyway, so um, she said companies in which we invest are sacrificing short-term profits to capitalize on the exponential growth and highly profitable opportunities that a number of innovation platforms are creating. Here's the problem with that. If you invest too early, some of these companies won't make and lose all of your money. Or they, they, you know, anyway, I'm not saying you don't want to do growth companies. I'm saying you want to do them at the right time. And, 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 and really shrink how much you do in a tough market. Don can talk about that a little bit more later about how, you know, we, we you know, growth stocks are our primary focus, but when they're not working, we're not in growth stocks. We try to avoid them. And in fact, Don just bought a dividend ETF, to the dividend paying ETF today. We'll talk about that. But we also have cash and treasuries or whatever. So we're not just a one trick pony. We're not just doing growth stocks. In fact, we try to go where the money flows are going. It's not perfect but it's certainly a lot better than being down over 20% in a bear market, like almost all stocks, including many, many dividend stocks. Okay. So now we got that out of the way. All right. Does anybody want to comment on that first before we move on? I think Don made a pretty good point there. Yeah. It's really enough said. There's nothing you can say. All right. Now let's move to disinflation. Okay. Disinflation. So Fed's Bullard, and he's normally kind of hawkish, um, said disinflation, said the job market is still strong. The current labor market situation unprecedented with measures of labor demand, meaning there's more demand for jobs, th- are significantly in- exceeding the measure of labor supply, people looking for jobs, wanting jobs. He said, now, this is my comment. This is the first time ever young people, a lot of, there's a big swath of young people that just don't want to work. They'd rather not work, live with their parents, or get money from the government or, or whatever. But, the, but the, the younger job force has shrunk by over three to 400,000 people from its norm, right? It's norm. But the younger people, the 20-year-olds, they're, they're not a smaller number in the population. In other words, their numbers haven't declined and therefore, younger people looking for a job haven't declined. Yep. Just the younger people looking for a job. And so when you have the participation rate at 62%, just a few years ago, it was 67%. So you shrunk the people, the labor force by 7%. Not that there's 7%, you know, if they could, if you just give them a job, a good paying job, they take it probably. But in any event, so in my opinion, the job numbers are, are the unemployment rate. Let me put it this way. The unemployment rate is artificially low because the way they're manipulating the counting. Now, why do I now why do I say this? If you look at the average hourly, 
that actually went down. That didn't do so well. That came kind of under pressure. Michael and, and Don can talk about that a little bit more. But the ISM, the, uh, the um, manufacturing number, okay, the ISM number is below 50. So if we're, that's in contraction territory. That means you're in recession territory. So if you're in contracting territory, how are you creating new jobs? I thought when we contract, people lost jobs. Hell, what do I know? All right. Anybody got any comments on what the, and really the main thing is what is the reaction to the Fed's numbers and reports? Not really what the reports say themselves, because really what we care about is making money when it's pretty good times and trying to be defensive and losing less or a lot less during downtimes. So any comments, guys? I'm going to throw that open to you guys. Don, I'll start with you. Is ISM, was that number, was that an employment number or is that an output number? That's a manufacturing. Okay. So that doesn't necessarily reflect, that output indicates yeah. minor contraction, which is actually good for the Fed. And I think that the market, when it saw that, it actually went to the upside. The initial reaction of the NFP number this morning uh, from what I saw, the positive reaction was people focusing on the reduced average hourly earnings, which were below the estimate. Um, once the market opened, we gapped up about eight tenths of a percent, came all the way back to even, and then another spike to the upside helped by that ISM number that came out at 10 a.m. Um, you know what I'm always going to say, Dan, we're going to go by what the charts are going to tell us. And so far today, the Dow has gotten back above its 21. Uh, that dividend ETF that we're watching, SDY, has broken above recent resistance. Let me bring up that chart. Has broken above recent resistance and is outperforming. Uh, small cap growth and mid cap growth are outperforming versus their value counterparts, but on the uh, but large cap growth is still underperforming. Uh, Tesla's down today. They had to cut prices in South Korea. Um, ultimately, we weigh all this, but as always, we look at the reaction to this. And uh, it's nice to soothe the brain if the reaction is in sync with what the data comes out and there's an explanation for what you think. But like we said in our um, in our year-end video to clients, the market will bottom before the uh, economy does because the market's going to be looking forward six plus months. Right. So my reaction basically uh, is that this is is the first bit of good news. The reaction, the first bit of good news that we've seen uh, in a while, but we still need to get above that key level, which is 3,900. 3850 had had been uh, a more of a resistance level in the S and P. We're tra trading at 38. Uh, 70 right now. A close above 38.50 would be a, a definitely a check in the box for the bulls, but we really want to get above 3,900. And then the big test, uh, the 200-day moving average is down in the 3,990s now. It broke below 4,000 yesterday. Uh, as we know, the 200-day moving average is the big dividing line between a positive and an unhealthy long-term market. And that's where all rallies have failed in 2022. So a change in character to get above that level would be a big positive for the bulls. All right. And that's actually a beautiful chart right there. That is a nice cup and handle. That seems like you're 
break is that, am i reading that right don the right side of the yeah, handle that's, breaking that's up? the sdy it's really yeah. the, the handle went deeper than they would have wanted it to be the the pivot is up here higher but uh this uh confluence of moving averages that we broke above today is a is a good sign for uh the market and for dividend paying stocks which continue to lead so you're dipping in a little bit early with a tight stop i got it okay right but now right. that still looks a lot better than a tesla chart yeah, and oh. note that this is above the 200-day moving average, the same as uh, the Dow is, and and yeah, it is slightly pull up, pull up, pull up a Tesla, Tesla chart. chart. Pull up a Tesla oh, chart. Oh boy, that's horrific. But it did have a, it has so far had a oh. positive reversal after being down um, like seven, eight percent earlier. It's now only down a percent and a half. Note the big volume. This is capitulation type volume. Um, it's just a matter of looking for, and it's possible this 100 Livermore level, that's always, that's always a big psychological level, but sometimes those psychological levels play a key role. Uh, we bottomed today in Tesla at uh, 101.81, up to 108.80 now. We don't bottom fish, but first thing it needs to do is get above this purple line, which is the declining 8 EMA. Uh, you can see here several times over the last three months, the 21-day moving average, it got up into it and failed. We we key on the 21 quite a bit. It's still 19% uh, below the 21-day moving average. Wow. Really a free fall over the last month. Just an absolutely brutal month of, of uh, December for Tesla. Right. And 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 so, so right now it's taking a, just a bath. At some point, it'll be a buy again. At some point, value investors will start. Mud, muddy water. <laughs> uh, uh, I was going to say sewage, but okay. Uh, it, it'll start bottom fishing. You'll start getting value investors and kind of support a bottom. And then you've got so many short people short Tesla that I think you'll start to see a short squeeze. So you got to be careful because even if it starts rallying, it'll suck retail investors in because they'll go, oh my God, it's a bottom. I got to get back into Tesla because I want that stock. Mm -hmm. It'll pop up 8%, 10% and then roll right back over and go lower. So if you try yeah, a, lot, a lot of the short, a lot of the shorts have covered the short um, interest for Tesla is actually pretty low right now. Let me bring it up. Uh, the short interest for Tesla is only 3%. Wow. So it has very gone low by. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Very low by historical standards. Well, you've had some covering then. All right. So, um, all right. So Michael, do you have any comments on the fed? Um, I'll just say that the, um, so what I, what I like to focus on is, um, the, the, um, probabilities of, um, sort of what the market's pricing in, um, for rate hikes and, um, yesterday for the February meeting, um, the probabilities of, a of a 50 basis point hike had, had been increasing a bit. They were around 40%. And then on the news today, now, um, they've dropped to about 20% and, um, a 25 basis point hike is now at 77%. And then going forward to the March meeting, um, the odds are now increasing for a no hike in, in March. So being done um, a pause after next meeting. Um, but the main probability is still at another 25 in, in March. But um, we had very low probabilities of a pause and now those are increasing a bit. Um, and then as far as the, um, the ISM manufacturing, or non-manufacturing PMI, um, the market 
the market's rallying on that um, because basically um, it fell to 49.6, uh, pointing to the first contraction since May of 2020 in the height of the COVID pandemic and well below the market forecast of 55. And it compares with a reading of 56 last month. Um, and new orders contracted sharply, 45.2 versus 56 in November. And employment also declined, 49.8 versus 51.5 due to economic uncertainty and inability to backfill open positions. So um, that's what the Fed wants to see. Um, so shows progress that interest rate um, hikes are doing their job. And um, the market's now starting to price that in that um, potentially um, they say the, the Fed says they focus on the, the lagging effects of a monetary policy. So <laughs> the effects um, are are starting to to show up. So we'll see if um, if they factor that into to um, the next meeting and and we'll we'll take it from there. Absolutely. Connor, you want to add anything? Yeah, just <clears throat> something. I mean, I feel like there's like an overwhelming amount of economic data that that's always coming out and it can be it can be difficult to analyze and figure out what it means. So for me and I think just price never lies and you can have instances where good data is bad for the market and vice versa. So like Don to just touch what Don said, I mean, price is the best uh, tool to gauge if if it's good or bad, I think. Connor just got his gold star. If Don, if Don could reach through the 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 screen, the monitor, and give him a big wet kiss on the lips, he would. Yeah, I guarantee you. Don just like Don's going. Oh my god, I love this kid. I love it. All right. By the way, I forgot to bring this up at the beginning of the show. I Texas Claus. Whoa. Texas Claus got a very uh. nice. Got a very nice uh, mail. Uh, uh, Christmas card. Post Okay. And I was going to give it to him, but he's actually gone. He's up at the North Pole. Naturally. He's trying to track down his great uncle once removed, Santa Claus, because ah. he wants to find out, number one, where the hell was the Santa Claus rally? Yeah. Number two, what about the January effect? Although this may be correcting right here, right now, yeah. in live real time. We're recording this Friday morning around... 11 central time roughly and 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 then also he wants to ask what's going to happen in january because the old adage so goes january so goes the year, so goes the year. and we're going to talk about those probably well let's hit those right now don why don't you start talking about the three different because people get those confused those are three different kind of january season that well the santa claus rally can be late late december but but the January effect is really the first five or week day, you know, the first few days, first week out of the gate. And then the so goes January, so goes the year is really more of a monthly. Don, why don't you give the, the listeners a, f a few stats on that? Sure. So three different components to this, and this is based on Trader's Almanac. The Santa rally is defined as the last five trading days of a year and the first two trading days of the following year. So we had a big rally in the last 15 minutes of the seventh day, <laughs> which took us from plus 0.1% to plus 0.8%. So first check, the Santa Claus rally worked uh, up 0.8%, but that's below the historical average of 1.33%. Yeah. So yeah. I want to point that out. Okay. Uh, and then the second indicator on, of Trader's Almanac is the first five days of the year. If the first five days 
end up positive, the year ends up positive 83% of the time. If it's uh, negative, the year is, it's still a 50-50 toss up, whether it's going to be uh, positive or not. But if you're positive the first five days of the year and the pivot for that is the 1231 close. Uh, so if we're above, uh, where was 1231, uh, 38, 40, basically rounding up. If we're above 38.40 and the fifth trading day, which is next Tuesday, when next Tuesday ends, uh, no, actually Monday, would be next Monday would be the fifth day. Today's the fourth day. Uh, if we're above 38.40, then you get a check mark, a second check mark in the positive column for the first five day indicator. And then the third indicator, we have to wait till the end of January to see that's the so goes January, so goes uh, the year. So, um, well, That's what is where we stand with those uh, three seasonality uh, indicators. Yeah, and that, and like I said, we still follow because it doesn't happen all the time. It's not it's not a slam dunk. So you still get, yeah, but, we're not making broad decisions based on that. We're we're keeping it, we're filing it, we're watching it. Uh, but ultimately, the individual price action on the markets, the sectors, and the individual stocks is what's going to key our decisions. Right. And folks, by the way, the Jan so part of that makes a little bit of sense because a lot of money, so you got 401k money that employees withhold off their paychecks, and those goes in every couple of weeks pretty systematically, right? But companies do their matching right at or right after year end, right after year end, that first month in January, but especially the first couple of weeks, because now they have all the payroll data in. So you'll see little larger chunks of money going in all at once. And so that kind of helps January or early January to kind of be skewed toward good numbers and a positive outcome. So, and that's why if it doesn't happen, you really kind of want to keep your antenna up and, and be on guard. So when the January effect and the January doesn't happen, it just gives you more, uh, more impetus to, to, to be ready. So now, one last thing, and then we're going to dive right into the markets, okay? So it's the mailbag. And folks, listen, if you've got any topic that you'd like us to discuss, a particular stock or stocks or ETF or strategy, uh, you can just email us, dan at revereasset.com, and I will absolutely we'll bring it up on the air. We'll talk about it if you've got a stock or, you know, or you can just email me if you want a complimentary portfolio review or just talk about stuff. But but, or if you got a topic, if you found an interesting article, send me the link and we'll see if we can get it on. Anyway, this is from a, it's actually from a listener, loyal listener and a client, actually. It says, hey, Dan, thanks for the update. I was wondering what you and Don thought about the company Circle.com partnering with BlackRock and the U.S. government to bring corporate treasuries to blockchain. I'd love to, I don't know, I'm not sure what she means by corporate treasures. I got to look that up. I love for you all to take a look at their site and tell me how we may capitalize. I know BlackRock 2023 market outlook hinted that the equities didn't have enough price in, and I wondered how much lower they plan to go. Who knows? Follow the charts. Again, I keep my eyes out and thought I'd ask the professionals. And then she, she put three links on there. Of what their links aren't on the show notes this time. They'll be on the show notes next time. By the way, I only had a few links this uh, 
time. It was a holiday. Well, but, but, well, we want to talk about the markets. Uh, Fed's Bullard 2023 on track to be a deflationary year. Uh, uh, billionaire low blast Kathy Wood for stock hoodlers mentality. And, and this is what I did skip this year, this time, folks, because the forecasts are coming out, I mean, from every company everywhere except us. And, and I've already beat that to death in December, so I'm tired of doing forecasts. But it says, Bank of America, buy stocks. Almost. 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 Got to have that disclaimer. Almost. Oh, wasn't quite there. Yeah. And Morgan Stanley sees a further slide. Well, thanks. That was helpful. Not. Okay. Anyway, so she's got these three um, um, articles that actually will be on on the show notes next yes. week. So if you want to read them, but we want to do a little deeper dive. And that says, thanks for all you're doing to preserve our retirements. It's cold world out there. And we, as your customers appreciate having a fiduciary that is actually, that was all in capitals, actually on our side. So thank you. Very sweet. She, it was very sweet. Yeah, it was very, very she's, she's a great girl. All right. Anyway. Um, but, but, but Michael's going to quickly just kind of lay out what she's talking about the topic. And then we'll do a deeper dive next week. Mike, yeah. go ahead. All right. So just a brief summary. I read through the article and basically what it's saying is that um, it's talking about something called USDC, which is a stable coin operated by this company Circle. And um, what stable coins are is it's, um, it's basically a, a proxy on the US dollar. It's like a digital dollar and they're designed to give users access to the blockchain without the volatility of cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum. And supposedly what they say is that it allows people to transfer money easily around the globe, including places where the US dollar may be hard to obtain. So um, what these stable coins do is they, they maintain a one-to-one -one peg with the US dollar. And the way they do that is by holding reserves of cash and short duration treasuries. So they, in USDC, they say they have 20% of their assets in cash and 80% in short-term uh, duration U.S. treasuries. And there's been a lot of speculation that stablecoins don't actually have those reserves to back their currency. <laughs> so what Circle's doing is by partnering with BlackRock, they're, they're basically, um, it's a way to legitimize their, their product and um, they can hold their reserves in a dedicated fund that they have access to through BlackRock, which is registered with the SEC. And the hope is that by registering with the SEC and partnering with BlackRock, they'll have access. Um, so 80% of those short-term U.S. Treasuries, they'll have access to the Fed's reverse repo program, which is something that usually banks and money market accounts only have access to. And what the reverse repo facility is, is it's basically like in simply described, it's a place where, um, where these banks and money market funds can lend money to the Fed overnight for the um for the federal funds rate so they can get a fixed interest rate that's essentially totally risk-free because it's an overnight rate and um they can earn interest on these funds so it's just a way to uh legitimize the stable coin have it audited and um, regulated by the sec and um hopefully um instill some more trust and that, uh, that's the the brief uh summary of why this is relevant okay i, I appreciate that now just to clarify so the banks can borrow from the fed overnight they borrow from the Fed. They can and, and well, they, there's the there's the repo, and then there's the reverse repo. Right, right, right. So what what he's saying? So what the Fed does is it's got the member banks, the big big member banks, and they got traders of these member banks, and they got to deal with them that they play ball with the Fed. 
If you want to be kind of a partner, you're going to buy and sell treasuries at our bequest. So when we sell you treasuries, you take your cash out of the member banks and give it to us and we put it in a lockbox. Remember that from the old days? Mm-hmm. And, and, and that takes money supply out of the system. It makes, a liquid, it makes a money tight, hence driving up interest rates. If they say, you know what, traders, we're going to sell you bonds. I'm sorry. Uh, we're going to, yeah, sell you. We're going to buy bonds from you. Here are the bonds. Here's your cash. Give me the bonds back. And now these banks are flush. And then they got a plenty of cash for their reserve requirements. And it lowers rates. So when they talk about the reverse repo or the repo market, that's really just big bond traders at the member banks trading bonds back and forth with the Fed to control the money supply. So they can do it by proclamation by the discount rate, ergo the federal funds rate, by by proclamation, we're going to raise rates by a quarter point, and or they can suck money out or put money into the system, Mm. okay? So sometimes they may say, we're going to stay pat, we're not going to raise rates, but yet they pull money out of the system so that the rates will slowly creep up anyway. So sometimes they're bold-faced lying, and sometimes they're actually trying to do what they say they're going to do. So in any event, that's one reason if you look at the free reserves or the excess reserves, that'll tell you how loose or easy the money supply is, okay? If you got any questions on that, you can just email me, dan at revereasset.com. Now, my one question, and this is one thing that we'll ask next time. So, Michael, on that, on that, on that structure that you just explain to me. It almost sounds like it's just an ETF or an investment vehicle. It really doesn't quite sound like a pure cryptocurrency, if you will, where you're actually owning the coin. Is that is that accurate or are you not do we need to do a little more research to figure that out? Well you no you 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 own the coin. The the coin is is um is it operates on the blockchain so it's basically instead of having a cryptocurrency that's traded and the the price it's it's uh, basically there's no way to really value it which is why it's so volatile there there's so many different opinions of the sure. use cases and sure. and what it's going to serve for um it, it's just basically a way the these stable coins are coins that you own but it's a way that you can have digital dollars on the blockchain so if you want to transfer money overseas or or use the money to to buy things you can um you can transact supposedly it's a lot lower um transaction fees it's a lot easier on weekends when banks are closed and you want to wire money and you have to wait until monday you can do this immediately on the blockchain so it's a way to um still use your us dollars but on the blockchain and um i i can get into next week um why i i personally don't believe it's even efficient and uh, a decentralized um Ledger doesn't really make sense. Um, it's a lot more efficient to have a centralized one, but we'll we'll save that for next week. All right. But well, you, no, but you do own the uh, stable coins. Well, no, no, that that's awesome. So basically, it's supposed to be pegged to the dollar, and it's going to kind of move in tandem with the dollar. Now, folks, I don't know if you knew this or not, but I a year a couple years ago we talked about Bitcoin, and oh, well, we talked about the government rolling out their own crypto dollar, their own dollar. And, I, and, and India's already started doing it. Some other countries have already started doing it. And I said they'll want to do it. They will want to do it because it's about control. They can track every single transaction. So the good news is you get rid of the black market. 
I mean, because you can track it now. If there's no dollars to trade, you got to do it electronically. But also, there's no privacy anymore either. Mm. I mean, then they had, because you can't do a deal. Zach, you and I can't pay you $100 cash. I have to pay you $100 with my my crypto dollar, whatever you want to call my coin, my dollar coin. Right? So now they've got uh, uh, tracking on that. But I also said the way that they have, if, if, if when they're kind of ready to roll this out, they really need other cryptos to really be in the toilet and in trouble so that you, that, that they'd be the savior and you want to go to them. So what more perfect time when Bitcoin's gotten slaughtered or Ethereum, you know, Ethereum, all these cryptos are really in trouble. It's a perfect time to do that. I don't, I'm not saying they're, they're doing it now or getting ready, but when they do get ready to roll it out, I would expect the other cryptos to come under pressure because they want to be the crypto. That's their goal. They don't, they are not going to let Bitcoin compete with the U.S. dollar. If you think they are, that's a tough call, man. I'll tell you why. You know why? We've gone to war to protect the U.S. dollar more than once. Okay? Middle East conflicts, it's about the, do- the petrodollar. Okay? So, in any event, We'll talk about that more next week. Uh, Don, can you pull up, do, is circle.com, is that, uh, let's see, I don't, I don't know what the ticker is on that. Um, but anyway, we'll look into that. And well, we'll, I, can, I, can show, I can show BlackRock, yeah. which is really the, uh, what gives it legitimacy. This is a chart of BlackRock, and it's, it's not bad. This would be a, a tiny part of their business uh, that they're dipping their toe into. They're more known for providing uh, as an ETF provider right. and an asset manager, but uh, it's forming a flat base. It's above the 200-day moving average and the 50-day moving average, but uh, this partnership is not going to be a, a, a currently a profit driver uh, for BlackRock, <laughs> but yeah. uh, BlackRock is forming a, a flat base and it's above the 200-day and the 50-day moving average, so the chart's solid on BlackRock. Well, and if the government actually really gets behind this in full force, it could it could make it uh, profitable for them, sure. quite profitable. All right. So another. So those are interesting things that we want to talk about. Let's get straight into the markets now. Let's just do a deep dive and talk about what's happening thus far in these first couple days of January and how we're going to proceed going forward. Don, take it away, brother. Sure. Here's the S&P 500. And for the last 14 days, let me bring up a an intraday chart. This is a 30-minute chart of the S&P. This, is, uh, this was the positive CPI data that we gapped up on. This was on December 13th, but we sold off intraday. Then the next day was the Fed, and we sold off here uh, with Powell basically saying higher for longer on rates. And then the next day we gapped down. So this is the level, this 39.50 level is the gap where we broke down from uh, from the FONC. And then we haven't been able to get back above 38.89 or 39.90 since then. And the bottom end of the range, you can see how solid 3,800 uh, support has been. We've tapped it basically every day, tapped and or undercut it basically every day, but recovered either intraday or the next day. So today's a good day in the market. We're up currently 1.65% on the S&P trading at 3870. Uh, We need to get above these recent resistance levels, 3873, 3878, 3890, in order for this to be a change in character. Right now, all we're doing is the same thing 
for multiple times over the last uh, week, week and a half is coming up to 38.90 and failing. Today feels a little bit stronger. It feels a little bit uh, more robust, a little broader in the participation. I'm basically seeing every sector up. Uh, I'm seeing uh, small growth and mid growth, as I said, outperforming small value and small growth. That's the complete opposite of what we've seen the first three days of 2023. So that's a positive also. Um, but really the key level, like I said, back to the daily chart, we haven't been able to get above this 21 day moving average on a closing basis, uh, going all the way back to the Fed breakdown on 12.14, 12.15. The key level there on the 21 is 38.69. We're trading right there, 38.70. So one close above there, would be a positive, but you, we get one day closes above and below all the time. We need a second close to establish that there might be a pattern. And then right above there, we've got uh, the 50 day moving average right above 3,900. And then this big bad black line, which we failed at multiple times in 2022, right below 4,000. Now we need to see uh, below 4,000 and continuing or above 4,000 and continuing strength to really think that a rally might have legs. So those are really the key levels on the upside. We pounded on the downside at 3,800 so many times and it held consistently. That's the good news. But now all we are is at the top of the range where we historically have been failing over the last three weeks. And uh, that's the next hurdle to get over. All right, well, that's that's uh, very illuminating. So really the 3,900 level is, is really, a really key. Uh, resistance to break above, and then the next big line would be four thousand. Right. All right. Well, that's Absolutely. awesome. Absolutely, four thousand being being the key two hundred day moving average, and and you know the stats, the bear market stats that I track. Traditionally, when, it, when if you're going to go into a bear market, you start about twelve percent above the two hundred day moving average. This bear market started a little about nine point five percent above, right? And then when we rolled over. Part of the um, exodus and one of the bonuses for staying out of the way below the 200-day moving average is it rolls over, it comes lower, and your signal to get back in is significantly lower than your signal to get out, which in this case, the last one was on 421 at 4,500. So a, a full 500 points lower uh, versus the 4,500 is where we can get an all clear signal to really start getting heavily back into the market. So you get out, we're getting back in lower than we were able to get out. And that's been a consistent theme in those uh, 13 bear market uh, studies that I did going back to 1970. Okay. All right. Well, so uh, do, do you have a few stocks that the guys want to uh, bring up? Connor and uh, well, the twenty one, the twenty one over twenty one will be uh, check that tonight. But uh, I know Connor has some from his uh, from his sectors that he focuses on. Connor, what do you got? <clears throat> yeah, so um, I have five new ones different from last week. Um, so Don, if you could pull up the chart of TCOM. So yeah, this is. Uh, Quite the theme this week has been, you know, the, a lot of China names have, have been moving higher. Um, the China reopening has really been driving a lot of these names. But 
this, uh, you know, caught my attention on my on my uh, sector list, and you know, it's it's trading well above the medium, long, and short term moving averages. So, it, it looks really healthy in that aspect. Um, and with all this China stuff going on, it, it can cause a lot of volatility swings in both directions. So you have to be careful in that aspect. But um, consumer spending is supposed to see a snapback rally in China, um, and it's supposed to grow 11% this year. So trip.com could see some benefit from that, given they're, you know, involved in the uh, accommodation of hotel and, you know, airline ticketing. It's a little extended, but um, it's been really strong. Another one is WYNN. Win. Win. Let's go to Macau. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, just be, I'll just be brief with this one. I mean, it's over the long, medium, and short term moving averages. And like I just previously said, that um, this China reopening is, is really driving some of these stocks positively. Next one um, NKE. So yeah, it had this really strong earnings gap up. And I think any time a stock can gap up on earnings in this current environment, it's very positive. And when you look at the chart, it's just been riding that ADMA. And, you know, a couple of stocks this year, when they gap up, come back to the EMA and just ride them, it's a, it's a big positive. So if it can continue to hold this short-term moving average, it def I think it definitely can hold this trend. Um, and it's definitely a character change um, with many of the other retail apparel stocks also showing similar looks. Uh, next one is DOX. So this one uh, gapped up this, this week and then came down to retest that pivot gap up point which coincided with the AEMA. And this is a prime example of how it's been tough to buy breakouts this year, but uh, the more smart thing to do is, you know, if stock breaks out, wait for it to come down, retest that pivot point, AEMA, and see if it can move higher from there. Um, this is in the computer tech services. So basically what they do is they, you know, they just provide business support system softwares to service providers uh, involved in the communication, media, and entertainment sector. Um, train well above the 200-day, so that, that's just always a positive in this environment, especially with many names trading below it. And then my last one is LW. Um, this is not, you know, the, the hottest sector stock, but it's in the food packaging, uh, sector and it's a staple. And I think something we cannot ignore is that these staples continue to make new highs and, uh, crush earnings. Like, as you can see yesterday, it, it had a killer earnings, um, 4.8 billion in set sales along with 600 million in income and they updated their 2023 fiscal outlook. Um, and yeah, it gapped up. And now as you look today, it's, it's, it's strong again today. So um, 
although it's in the staples um something to keep an eye on yeah is the, it, those are growth yeah those are growth fundamental numbers in a staple sector that uh that checks all the boxes right so now the question so, yeah. is is with well, the question is is that too extended to try to add a position or do you got to wait till it pulls back to the 21 or how, how do you play that yeah i for me i think it's too extended um let those moving averages catch up and maybe a lot of times i notice is when these stocks gaff up on earnings they'll come down and retest the like the bottom of the uh breakaway gap i'll call it and sometimes they can just explode off that so yeah in the short term it, it definitely is a little bit extended folks listen i, I want to bring up one thing real quick so Don, we have a YouTube channel. It's called Revere Asset. Just t Google Revere Asset. Just Revere Asset. You can pull up. And if you hit subscribe or, or, you know, follow on our YouTube channel, when we put out this podcast, it'll go out literally like two, like in a couple hours versus getting it in the newsletter uh, mail normally on Saturday morning. So you get it literally probably even before the early. market closes if yeah. you want. Now, but but Don did a gap up video he did in about an hour maybe not an hour maybe 45 minute video on gap just gap rules just gaps because gap stocks are very difficult to play because more than half of them are going to gap and crap and they'll gap and then they'll just turn around and roll right over but the the sun the couple that do stay up there and then continue just to explode higher right how do you participate in those but not get creamed by the ones that gap and crap right that's exactly what Don did. So whenever you buy a gap stock, you, you've got to have rules and you've got to be willing to sell if the gap doesn't hold. Anyway, for those people that are interested in that, just go to YouTube. And it was a couple of years ago. You can just go back and find it. But it's a it's it's uh, it's called uh, gap rules. <laughs> we made it real simple for you. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Was, was that all? Yeah, that's it. OK. All right. Michael, do you have any stocks? Um, I can just go through a couple quickly. Um, disclaimer, I do own these names. Uh, one of them is Abvi, ABBV, uh, which is breaking out of a cup and handle today. Um, like that one. Um, it's a pharmaceutical company, one of the big ones. Um, then another one is nice um, is PICK, the, um, the miners, X Gold and Silver, own that one as well. And the, the miners are having a good day today as well. Um, breaking out. I think the miners could be a, um, a theme going forward for the next five years, even um, just in terms of electrification and the need for base metals and materials. Um, another one is XHB, the home builders. Um, I've been in that one for a little bit. Um, home builders, I mean, there, there's a lot of negativity around them, but they, the charts, charts don't lie. And um, those are, those are doing pretty well as well. And then um, last one uh, that I'm looking at, I don't own this one, is uh, Mondelez, MDLZ. And uh, going on to those um, snacks and, and food packaging companies, um, this one looks like it's, it's ready to um, potentially break out as, as well. So um, that's, that's what I'm focusing on. Yeah, and folks, listen, one thing I'd like to point out, so he was talking about the electrification and the, and the demand. We're seeing huge in, in increases in demand for these metals, nickel, cobalt. Uh, lithium, all that kind of stuff. So you don't actually have to play the metals themselves. You can actually buy the infrastructure or the equipment to mine the metals. It's like the old adage during the gold rush in the 1800s in California. 
you don't want to be mining the gold. You want to be selling the shovels, right? Because only, you know, one out of 100 guys are going to get rich during the gold rush panning for gold. But the guy that gets sells the shovels and the pans gets rich. So in any event, you got to look at other ways. There's different ways to play the mining and the metals. I'm not saying you don't own the metals or you don't own the miners. I'm saying there's also auxiliary sectors around those that can also be very beneficial. All right, folks. Well, listen, Don, you got anything else before we close? No, I think that's a wrap. We've covered pretty much everything in the, what those key levels are. All right, folks, listen, if you like what you heard, please tell a friend, tell a neighbor, just tell them to go to revereasset.com. Up in the upper right-hand corner, there's a subscribe button. They can just hit subscribe, and they can um, put in their name and their email address. We won't reach it. We won't spam them and send them a bunch of junk mail. We didn't even do anything with that list except put them on the newsletter list. And every day day the market is open, the guys do a short daily, it's called Daily Market Insights video, setting up for the next day for the for the morning. And then this podcast goes out on Saturday morning and they'll get all of that without having to do anything. It just goes right to their inbox. There's also a contact button to the left of that where you can actually send, it goes directly to me. You can send me a message saying, I'd like, what do you think about this stock? Or, or you know, hey, I'd like to, you can even schedule a meeting, but you can get a complimentary portfolio review. Or if you just have a topic that you want to talk about, on the show. Remember, we are free of conflicts of interest. We are not a broker. We're a fiduciary. We only represent the client, the buy side. We are not affiliated with any custodians, broker dealers, in, insurance company. We're not, we don't work on commission. We don't do any of that stuff. We only, and we give out, we put out more uh, financial and market information complimentary and show you what we do. We pull, we're not the Wizard of Oz. We pull back the curtain and show you exactly what we're doing. And clients have even told me when they become a client, that newsletter really comes alive because now they see in real time in their account what we're actually talking about on the newsletter. Anyway, you can reach out to any of us if you want, Dan at revereasset.com, Don at revereasset.com, or Michael, Ted, or Connor at revereasset.com. <laughs> got them all. <laughs> I got them all right. I, yeah. I almost said one of the old guys. And, 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 and Zach's over here going, you, you, you finally got it. <laughs> Only amazing. on the 10th take. That, you know, it's been, it's January. You finally got it this year. You got That's it right. right. Well, hopefully my New Year's resolution is to get everybody's names right yep. and not call anybody the wrong name by habit. Starting off great. In, in any event, uh, we got all the emails and you could always call us old school at 855-REAL-WEALTH. Oh, uh, folks, I hope this is a wonderful and prosperous 2023. And we're going to work hard at Revere and we'll give you all the information that you need for an investment portfolio. We'll talk to you next week on your money. Because it's not how much you make in the markets, it's how much you can keep.
Your Money Radio podcast covers general topics and investment ideas for research. It is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be investment advice. If you want or need investment advice, contact your own advisors or reach out to Revere Asset Management for individual investment advice. For more information, just go to revereasset.com.